0: Welcome to The Commentary, a weekly conversation about vision, worship, and life at Grace Presbyterian Church. I'm Mark Bertrand, the pastor of Grace, and in this episode, we have two segments for you. First, I'll be checking in with Grace's new associate pastor, Dan Reed, to hear about the back to back experience of graduating from seminary one day and being ordained and installed as a teaching elder the next. Then, I'll join Cameron Brooks in the studio to talk about the passing of Tim Keller and the lasting legacy of his example of faithfulness. Dan, welcome back to The Commentary. It's great to have you back on the podcast. This is actually the first time, though that you've joined the podcast after becoming a pastor. So congratulations, Pastor Dan.
1: Oh, thank you very much. It's a very exciting time. It's great to be here.
0: So this past weekend was a pretty big weekend for you. On Saturday, you graduated from seminary, and on Sunday, you were ordained and installed. Uh, What was that like? It It was a very exciting, overwhelming experience.
1: Uh, It was something that I've been looking forward to and my family has been looking forward to for years. Uh, And it was just exciting to have it back to back. Um, At the graduation, which you spoke at, uh, which was a real honor for me, uh, you referred to it as the one-two punch. And I just thought that was really appropriate uh, that on Saturday, graduating, had my family there and a lot of people there to support. And it was sort of marking the end of one chapter in life. And then turning around on Sunday and marking a new beginning and an exciting new beginning in pastoral ministry was just, yeah, overwhelming is sort of the word that keeps coming to
0: mind. I'm sure not everyone knows the background, but how many years have you been pursuing ordination? Like you started Hmm. seminary when?
1: I started, let's see, I moved back to South Dakota in 2017 and 2018, January, uh, January 1st, started seminary, and so it was a four and a half year process formally through seminary.
0: Fantastic. So before that, you were teaching, Mm -hmm. and so your background was in education, and Mm -hmm. you've used your gifts of teaching uh, ever since you've been here at Grace, serving Mm -hmm. the church. Of course, that will continue, but now Mm -hmm. you're In this new chapter, where you are a minister of word and sacrament, and this past Sunday, you actually administered Mm. communion for the first time. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's a lot of moving pieces in that communion service. Were you nervous at all? Oh, I I was very... I don't
1: know if nervous is the word that I would use. I mean, there was a sense of nervousness there. Uh, There was a sense of seriousness and excitement and... Yeah, there, there were a lot of moving pieces, um, but the whole service had just sort of moved in a certain direction the whole way and, and sort of felt kind of like I was just following the flow of the service, and it felt a lot more natural than, than the times that I had practiced at home. And okay. um, the things that I had practiced didn't come out the way that I had intended them <laughs> they to. They never
0: do. <laughs> hopefully for
1: the better, but it was it was a very, yeah, it was a big, big moment.
0: Well, I know every time you preach or administer communion, you will always be filled with awe mm. and always overwhelmed. So you, mm. you won't get used to that, Sure, but uh, it, it's a good thing for the life of our church Mm. to have you finally at this point. And we're actually at the beginning of our summer schedule. Mm. Sunday school has has concluded for the spring. And in June and July, you're actually gonna be preaching quite a bit at Grace. So in June, three Sundays, and then three Sundays again in July. Mm-hmm. Can you give us a little bit of a preview of what you're planning to preach on?
1: Yeah, I'm very excited to be looking at Second Corinthians, uh, chapters three, four, and five, uh, and looking at Paul as he writes to the Corinthians. Uh, as a young, well, new pastor, um, I wasn't ready to tackle 1 Corinthians and all the excitement in 1 Corinthians. Uh, But 2 Corinthians is this beautiful passage um, talking about the reconciliation that Paul has found and the comfort that he has found. Uh, And he's writing to the Corinthians with a very different and very pastoral, beautiful tone. And I'm just very excited to look into it with the congregation and to preach uh, through those paths through those chapters
0: that's fantastic and second corinthians 5 is mm-hmm. such a great summary of the gospel i still remember the first time i ever encountered that and mm-hmm. and saw like oh, this is the way i want to understand and talk about the gospel as that ministry of reconciliation so mm-hmm. i think this is going to be a wonderful sermon series and and it will be a series it'll be yep. uh, six parts yep. in two sections uh three parts in June, three parts in July, and then I'll kind of come in between and, and do a little bit there. So uh, mm-hmm. this is great. I mean, we're, we're basically dropping you in at the deep end. Yep. Uh, I'll be traveling, teaching at Worldview Academy a lot of those weeks and attending General Assembly. And so uh, it's it's a huge benefit to me to, mm-hmm. to know that the church is in good hands mm. and I'm handing you the keys and expecting <laughs> when I come back that It'll still be here. <laughs> yes.
1: Well, and and I'm excited too. It's kind of a season of firsts for me. Um, and so I've I've now administered communion. I've preached in the past, uh, but I haven't done an entire service. I did that Thanksgiving service a few years mm-hmm. ago, uh, and just was really struck by the intentionality and the beauty of the the service as it's laid out. And now looking at a worship service with just a few different pieces and parts. I'm really excited to be able to walk through a whole service
2: with Grace.
0: Yeah, so this episode is coming out on Friday, the 26th of Mm. May. So a week from Sunday, Mm. Uh, so Sunday's the 28th. And then a week from that will be the 4th of mm-hmm. June, that's Trinity Sunday, and you'll mm-hmm. be preaching and administering communion, in my absence, that Sunday. So mm-hmm. that's a uh, exciting milestone, I think, in the life of the church, and I know we're all looking forward to it. Dan, we're excited to have you as a pastor of grace, and looking forward to seeing what God does through you and in your life over the years to come.
1: Yeah, thank you. It's uh, my pleasure to be here and I'm humbled that I'd be called as a pastor and really looking forward to doing ministry here at Grace.
0: Last August, we did an entire episode of the commentary talking about the influence of Tim Keller in the church as a whole, and also on our particular church, on Grace Presbyterian Church. I think it's fair to say that we are a church that has been profoundly shaped by Tim Keller's work and by his example. And it's hard to imagine us being where we are and how we are apart from his influence. Recently, Tim Keller passed away after a long struggle with cancer, and we thought it would be a nice time to return to that question briefly and just talk a little bit about his influence once again on the church, what, what his legacy represents to us and and maybe also a little bit about the the value not only in Tim Keller's case but in others as well of of running the race of the Christian life well that we're grateful for good examples of believers who've lived faithfully and have died faithfully and it's a great encouragement to those of us who Uh, look forward to and hope to make a similar end. Cameron, I know that Tim Keller's work was a big shaping factor on you. And unlike me, you actually had the opportunity to meet him. (laughs) Um, How did that come about?
2: Yeah, so I was at seminary out in Princeton, New Jersey, and it was the spring of 2017, I believe. There was a a group within the seminary called the Kuiper some something had to do with Kuiper and they awarded a prize to a a pastor every year for essentially ministry success. And that year they had awarded the prize to Tim Keller for his work in Manhattan. So they invited him to come speak at the seminary. Unfortunately, there was a bit of an uproar at the seminary and some people may remember hearing this in the news, but some students at my seminary objected to the idea of awarding this to someone in the PCA, someone with the reputation of Tim Keller. In their eyes, he was essentially too conservative. So they rescinded the award, but Keller, in all of his dignity, decided, well, I don't need the money. I don't really care about the award. I'm going to still come and, and talk. So he packed out an auditorium at the seminary, and we went and, and listened to him speak about, I think he was speaking about global missions that night. But afterwards, there was a, a chance to, to go up and talk with him a little bit. Jenny and I walked up and asked for a photo naturally. She, Jenny's a huge fan my wife as well. And he kindly said he, he doesn't do photos, but thanks for asking kind of a thing. So we, we talked with him for a few minutes and thanked him for his, his writing. Thankfully though, we had some friends standing in line behind (laughs) us who snatched a photo of the three of us standing there. And, uh, I, yeah, I brought it up just the other day when we heard the news and it was, it was sad, but also really kind of a joyful time to look at that photo and remember him. And then just to remember, yeah, his huge influence on my life. I spent some time in prayer and tears remembering all of the the different books that he put out and the stages of my life that he spoke into with those books. And so very very thankful have have you ever seen him in person or heard him speak never okay ne- never yeah. um it's an interesting
0: thing though that the about the photograph because I find myself thinking about that, and wondering that's an unusual line to draw these days, I think. And, and my guess, I mean, I don't know, I, I haven't met him, let alone spoken with him on this subject, but, but it seems to me that maybe some of the logic behind that might be, you know, avoiding the trappings of celebrity yeah, that uh, are so prevalent these days, you know, that, that it seemed to me, That he made an effort, not just to be another celebrity pastor, you know, not just to sort of build a brand, but was really focused on his mission, on Christ and not on himself. And so maybe in that one habit, you see that reflected, Mm -hmm. you know, I, I, I can only admire it as as a sort of person who would gladly mug for the camera. you know <laughs> shocked that anyone would want to take that photo with me um i I can really respect
2: mm-hmm. that determination, yeah, yeah, it was very cool, and he was a very confident yet humble person yeah in in the flesh and just felt and sounded and acted exactly like he sounds in all of those sermons that I listened to. It's that same guy just right
0: there. Yeah. In our Sunday school class, I read to the class a blog post by Alan Jacobs as he was reflecting on the news of Tim Keller's passing. He just wrote a quick little note and, and it was interesting the, the theme that he singled out was encouragement. Mm-hmm. That in his interactions with Tim Keller, the focus of Keller had always been to encourage him. And as he looked at his contribution as a whole, he felt like that's what it had been. And I certainly could feel that, you know, as as someone who encountered Tim Keller, as I shared the story on the the podcast episode we did back in last August, um, you know, I was one of those people who was like a intellectual Christian struggling with the reality of the anti-intellectual church. And I had been given to believe that a choice needed to be made. You know, you can either pursue the life of the mind or you can pursue Christ, but you can't do both. I remember when I was, graduating high school and going to college the pastor of my church had this serious talk with me about are you sure you want to do that like are you sure you want to go to college it's it's hard to imagine Mm. you know a conversation like that but he was really concerned because in his mind that was sort of a you know that that's the door out of belief and so To encounter someone who's not only not buying into that dichotomy, but is is using those intellectual gifts in order to glorify God, you know, it was was refreshing and encouraging and inspiring. And so I think that's, you know, one of many aspects that uh, I would point to, but the Just the the fact that a a man as gifted as he was would use those gifts to glorify Christ and see that as a, let's say, sufficient contribution, right? That it wouldn't be about building yourself Mm. so much is uh, something to learn from.
2: Definitely. I saw some stat tweeted out by a different pastor on Friday that said something like 35, only 35% of pastors quote unquote make it to the end. And I don't know Uh, exactly what this study was and what making it means. But the point is well taken that we don't always see the, the heroes get all the way to the end and heroes is probably the wrong word, but there's something really satisfying about, a race well run. Absolutely.
0: Yeah, I mean, one of the <laughs> one of the news pieces that I saw after Keller's death described him as a mega church pastor. Oh, no. And I thought that is a really misleading label, but but there's there's something beautiful about the fact that it is that that term grates because in a technical sense you could say that's true. Right, certainly by PCA standards, uh, Redeemer was a mega church. Right, that it was, it was. I think what five thousand people is the number that's sometimes said, and in our denomination, that's vast. I realize there are others that have larger churches, but it's not the norm for us. And so, yeah. But at the same time, all of the associations that you have with those. That word, you know, megachurch, you just don't have with him. You know, I, I think that's um, that's really telling. But yeah, so Tim Keller is not the only example of a well-run race. When I think about R.C. Sproul, for example, or many other uh, Christian leaders, it's... It is a comfort, I think, to us to see from beginning to end that faithfulness. I think especially now when we're so accustomed to, uh, you know, exposés and and scandals and uh, discovering that this person who seemed to be one thing was secretly something else, you know, there's there's almost a sense of relief when... People turn out to actually believe what they say and to actually live by the ideals that they profess. And so it's, um, I suspect, not as rare as we're led to believe. You know, I think we have sort of a media-created perception that that um, factors into that as well. But, you know, whether you're thinking of of... Keller or, you know, other leaders who've had similar struggles, I think like John Piper and his cancer diagnosis, that sort of thing. The, the, The idea of enduring your own suffering well, of actually applying the things that you've taught to your own life when you experience hardship, there may be nothing more beautiful than that. The setting of the example You know, just from from, uh, the charge that I gave to our new associate pastor, Dan Reed, from Second Timothy, um, you know, Paul talks about a commitment to the faith and to practicing the faith that not only yields results in your own sanctification, but actually results that can be seen by others. And of course, he's not thinking here of some sort of hypocritical show of righteousness. He's talking about a sincere faithfulness that's visible to the flock and is an encouragement to others. And I think that that's the kind of example that Keller has left for us, mm-hmm. one that that calls to be emulated. You know, and I think that's that's really the pastoral point that I'd like to make is is that of course we grieve in moments of loss like this and we're not at peace with death far from it at the same time in the same way that you know we encourage you when you see a newborn child baptized to reflect on your own baptism when we see one of God's saints go to glory we are encouraged to reflect on our own death and how we want to both live and die in Christ and so i find myself reflecting on that as i i think about the example that Keller has left for us and and it encourages me you know to want to follow in his footsteps
2: it's weird to say but there there really is something about the suffering that he went through the last several years he was fighting with cancer that allowed him to almost i don't know witness witness is probably the right word i guess to to witness in a different way because he he stepped down from redeemer several years ago and and i didn't totally know what he was up to after that but I always heard every now and then, oh, you know, Keller's still suffering with cancer. He's asking people to pray for him on mm-hmm. Twitter or something. Yeah, and, and through his struggle with cancer, we were able to see his continual faith in God's work in his life. And, and I think there are all kinds of things in the New Testament that Paul says about, you know, struggling and suffering occasioning for us opportunities to trust in the Lord. And and we saw that. And again, it's not saying that suffering is a good thing by any means, but just like we're thinking about our own deaths in light of his, thinking about our own sufferings in the in the meantime, in light of in light of the way that he endured suffering faithfully and, and I think encouraging others along the way.
0: Yeah, I, I agree completely. The the New Testament model and, and it's seen in the book of Hebrews that we're meant to understand the humanity of Christ as a way for him to sympathize with us and the suffering of Christ as a way for him to sympathize with us so that in our suffering we can draw nearer to him. And there's no question that those who suffer faithfully have an ability to minister to the rest of the suffering Population, mm-hmm. in a way that that validates, let's say the the teaching. You know, it's one thing to say something; it's another thing to live it. And the living of it, I think, is a powerful witness to the truth of the message. And so, yeah, I, I think there's no way in the world so soon after the event for us to you know say oh this will be the legacy of tim keller or something like that but but i i do think that his his witness to the very ends will always be an aspect of that legacy that it's not just that you know he encouraged people to to have a an intellectually rich faith it's not just that he spearheaded you know a new generation of church planting and and a way of engaging with the world around us, I think it will also be this too, that that there was this saintly way of meeting his end that we can all learn from, and, and I, I pray that we will. Thanks for listening to The Commentary. If you've enjoyed this episode, you can rate us on your favorite podcast app and share episodes with your friends on social media. You can subscribe to The Commentary on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. To find out more about us online, visit graceforsuefalls.org.